1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Okay, well, as Joel says, we are beginning a new sermon series as a church family this morning in this New Testament letter of 1 John. And what we like to do as a church family, we like to feel like sort of camp out in a bit of the Bible and sort of just spend time in it and explore what it's saying to us, what it means and how it should change the way we live week by week. I hope we can see from the beginning of this morning's passage that the opening words of this letter, the writer, John, he's not hanging about here. So in spite of it being a letter, he doesn't open the, the way most letters open, either in the first century or even today. It's not dear so-and-so or... The writer doesn't name himself, as they often did then. He doesn't name the people he's writing to. There's no personal greeting at the start. Instead, John just gets straight to business. And he opens the letter by celebrating the good news that is at the heart of the Christian gospel. The news that changes everything. The writer C.S. Lewis called this good news the grand miracle. The miracle that makes all other miracles possible. The good news John's going to spend the rest of his letter defending and rejoicing in, and and it's this. The good news that John begins with is that God has come near to us in Jesus. God has come near to us in Jesus. The living, eternal, creator God who made the universe, made that beautiful moon we saw a few weeks, a few nights ago, he's entered our world, John says. He's come near to us in the person of his son, Jesus, fully God and fully human. And because God has come near to us in Jesus, nothing else will ever be the same again. The Christian summaries refer to this truth as the incarnation of God, and it really stands at the heart of what Christians believe. I mean, just think of some of the big questions we often find ourselves asking in life. How can we know there even is a God? Many of us have asked that question, maybe regularly asked that question. And even if there is a God out there, we say, well, how can we know what God is like? How can we know that God is interested in us? How do we know that God cares about us? Isn't it just arrogant to presume that we can know what God is like? And isn't it arrogant to say, well, I'm going to ask God to help me. Surely he's got bigger things to do, more important things to do than help you and me. How can we know that God is there? Well, the Apostle John gives us the answer here. It's because of one awe-inspiring and life-transforming truth that has changed John's life, and he is hoping and praying as he writes this letter, it will change the lives of everyone who reads his words. God has come near to us in Jesus. The God who made the universe has made himself known in human history at a particular point in history, 2,000 years ago, at a place ancient Israel, in a person, Jesus Christ, the man Jesus. 
And that is the truth that John's going to celebrate again and again in this letter. God has come close to us to be with us, to show us what God is like, and more than that, to invite us into fellowship with himself, into close personal relationship with himself when we put our faith in Jesus. I want to see in the opening words here, it's like John can't wait to get started. Uh, some commentators call the opening words here a grammatical tangle, which might mean you say it's just bad writing, but, but, but I don't think it is. It's as if John kind of starts his letter mid-sentence, as if he's still just overwhelmed by the truth he's describing decades after he has experienced it. And the feeling of these opening verses, as we look at them, I think is one of awe and one of deep thankfulness. God has come near to us, John wants us to see. And that changes everything. It changes our relationship with God. It changes our relationship with one another. It even changes who we are. Let's look at how John opens his letter this morning before we think about the difference it makes to our lives. Have a look at verses 1 to 4. And the opening verses, they're written in the first person. All the references to us and we here. Just look down there. So he's writing, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So we need to ask the question, well, who is speaking here? Well, the author doesn't name himself, but the early church identified the author as the apostle John. So son of Zebedee, brother of James, one of Jesus' first and closest disciples, one of those fishermen that Jesus called at the lake of Galilee. And more than that, John, he's part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, alongside Peter and James. So John was present at most of the key moments in Jesus' life and ministry, even when other disciples were absent. See, John wants to see here that he is an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. And most commentators actually date one John towards the end of the first century, towards the end of the New Testament era, about 85 to 95 AD. So, so clearly John, he's an old man writing this. He's probably in his 70s. He's the last surviving member of the original 12 disciples. Again, if you look at to 2 John and 3 John just after this, he just refers to himself as the elder. He's just known to be this very old man in the history of the church. He's lived a long life for Jesus by this point. And he's writing this letter as an eyewitness of the glory of Jesus so the Christians of the next generation and every generation after that can know the certainty of what they have been taught about Jesus. Again, Joel's already mentioned that the purpose John gives us in this gospel, 1 John 5 verse 13, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is a letter written so that we can know we have eternal life. And what's eternal life? It is to know the living God through Jesus. John wants his readers to have confidence that they're right with God. He wants them to have confidence in who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for us. And he wants us to experience joy in our relationship with God. Look at verse four. We write this to make our joy complete. It's like John saying, I have experienced such joy in knowing this living God revealed in Jesus, and I'm writing this so that you get to share in that joy. And I hope we're going to see as we look at this on sunny mornings and in home groups that John, he loves the people he's writing to. 
John is a pastor who loves the people here. It's actually not addressed to one particular church. You'll see that in the opening verse. So it seems to be in a circular letter distributed around a number of churches. But it's clear from reading the letter that John knew the people he was writing to really well. And he loved them deeply. It's right the way through the letter. Look how John addresses his readers. My dear children, 2 verse 1. 2 verse 7, dear friends. A little bit later, dear children. John, it just kind of oozes out of him. I don't know if you ever met sort of that sort of older, twinkly person. Not every old person is twinkly, but John just feels like when he's going, dear, my dear children, my dear friends, I want you to know this about Jesus. I want you to know this about the living God. He has transformed my life. He can transform your life too. This is a warm and encouraging letter for us to explore together this term. But also in the background, there are threats facing John's readers. There are people who are trying to lead John's readers astray. So at the same time as John's writing to encourage and strengthen them, he's also writing to protect his readers from false understandings of the Christian life, from false understandings of who Jesus is. And we get little glimpses of these teachers throughout 1 John. They're once part of the churches John's writing to, but they've now left. That's chapter 2, verse 19. But more than just leaving, they're now trying to lead you astray, says John, to join them in their teachings about Jesus and the Christian life. And John, again, this twinkly loving man, actually describes these people as liars. He's not just nice to everyone. He's actually going, if you lie about Jesus, that's so, so serious. And how do you spot these false teachers? Well, John gives us a few keys throughout the letter. They're people who deny the true humanity of Jesus. They deny that the Son of God really has become a human being to save us. They claim to be without sin. They think, well, we're so spiritual, sin doesn't apply to us. They're arrogant. And actually, in spite of their claims to know God and be free from sin, they do not love other Christians. They had little time to love and serve the people around them. And John's writing this letter because he knows these claims have unsettled the Christians he loves. So he's writing to encourage and protect them. Remember who you are in Jesus, he says. Remember who Jesus is and all that he's done for you, and then love one another in the light of that. Don't let people unsettle you. Don't let people lie to you. Remember, God has come near to you in Jesus. So stay close to him. Come near to him. So verses one to two here, John just begins, it feels like mid-sentence. Verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. It's a mouthful. There's a lot there. But again, we're thinking, what is John wanting to communicate here? Very simply, he's telling us God has come near to us in Jesus. He's come near to us in Jesus. If you know any other bits of the New Testament, actually, these verses sound really similar, actually, to the beginning of John's gospel that we have a little bit earlier in the New Testament. Let me just read the opening lines of John's gospel, maybe famous ones from Christmas time. John's gospel tells us this, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, this is actually the same author trying to grasp amazing truths about the coming of Jesus. But whereas in John 1, he's talking about Jesus, the eternal divine word, in 1 John 1, he's more thinking about Jesus becoming one of us, the incarnate Jesus, the eternal son of God entering our world and becoming flesh, becoming one of us. Again, look at the language he uses. He describes this this person or message about as, as, as the word of life, verse 1, the life, verse 2, the eternal life, verse 2. And we're sort of sitting there going, well, well, who's John referring to? What is John referring to? I mean, the word of life sounds like just a message. Maybe it's a message from God, which is amazing, but, but, but is that what John's saying? It, this is a message for us. Again, verses 2 and 3, he says, we went on to proclaim the word of life. So yeah, clearly this is a message. But listen again to verses 1 and 2. The word of life is something John and the others have heard, have seen with their eyes, have looked at, their hands have touched. This is more than just a message. This is a person. This is a human being. The word of life is God-made flesh, is God incarnate, God with a human body, one of us. He's a person you can listen to, says John. He's a person you could see with your eyes when you were there. He's a person you could touch because he had flesh and blood just like us. The word of life, the life, the eternal life, he's a person you could listen to, see, touch, and his name is Jesus Christ. Verse 1, he was from the beginning. He was divine and eternal. He is divine and eternal. Like, one, like John 1 says, he was with God. He was God in the beginning. Again, John doesn't rush in going, oh, I, I saw Jesus. He's going, no, it's the word of life. The life, he's the eternal life. And he appeared in human history in the person of a man. He entered our world and put on flesh. He has come to us. He's made himself known to us. He experienced our humanity so we can experience his glory. We can see this is just awe-inspiring truths for John. Again, this is decades after the events, but still he can't quite believe what he has seen and heard and touched with his hands. But of course, for most of John's readers, his first readers, they didn't see or hear or touch Jesus. And for us today, none of us have seen and heard and touched the incarnate Jesus. That was 2,000 years ago. Jesus was here. So how can we know any of this is true? Well, John tells us it's because of him and the other eyewitnesses. Because John and the other eyewitnesses saw Jesus with their own eyes, heard him with their own ears, touched Jesus with their own hands, and they wrote down what they saw and heard. They did it so that they could proclaim that message to the rest of us. We can now have fellowship with God, says John, through the gospel proclaimed by the apostles. Verse 2 again, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify it. That's 
John and the other apostles, and we proclaim to you, readers, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's going, yes, I know you weren't there, but listen to what I'm going to tell you. Listen to what we saw and heard and touched, and you too can have fellowship with God, the same fellowship we have today. In verses 3 to 4, that's his goal, so that you may have fellowship with us And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. We write this to make our joy complete. He wants to share this fellowship with His readers, with us today. So why does John remind us that he's an eyewitness of Jesus' life? Well, in part, he's just reminding us of his authority to proclaim Jesus to us. Unlike the false teachers who are trying to unsettle John's readers, John was there. John was with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. He knew Jesus personally. He he touched Jesus before the resurrection and after the resurrection. He knows this was God made flesh. But the other thing is that John isn't content that just he and the other disciples get that fellowship with God. He wants all his readers, including us, to share in that relationship with God. Verse three, we do all this. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John's saying, it's not enough for me to know this God. I want you to know Him too. It's not enough for me to have joy in knowing I am in right relationship with this God. I'm part of His family. He loves me lavishly as His child. He says, I want you to be part of that too. Verse 4, he writes, so His joy is complete by his readers trusting the same Jesus he does. Because it's only through Jesus, John says, that we can experience this fellowship with God that John celebrates. And that word fellowship, it's a rich word, it's a personal word, it's from a Greek word called koinonia, sorry. And it can refer to a number of things. It can refer to a close personal relationship with someone. So in the ancient world, apparently it was used to refer to marriage a lot of the time, the relationship between a husband and wife. But it can also refer to a commitment to a common task. So a business partnership maybe would be described as koinonia, as a fellowship. And I think John has got both those meanings in mind. Fellowship with God, he says, is a close personal relationship with God. But it's also a partnership with God and his people in proclaiming Jesus. So he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He says, we are loved by the Father with a passionate and life-giving love. He's demonstrated his love for us once and for all by sending his Son as an atoning sacrifice for us. And now he says, nothing can break our relationship with God. Nothing can separate us from him. And I want you to share in that relationship with me. And then he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He says, we are now the ones, John says, who proclaim this coming Jesus to the world around us. We're now the ones who show the world what the invisible God is like by loving one another and by proclaiming Jesus to people through our words and our actions. He's amazingly saying, we are now partners with God. We have fellowship with God as we proclaim Jesus in this world through what we say, and through how we live. And how do we experience that fellowship? Well, John's going to unpack that for us in the rest of the letter, but, but the simple answer is through faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the key. 
faith in Jesus, the word of life made flesh for us, the Son of God come near to us so we can draw near to him. 1 John, it's a deeply Jesus-centered letter, and it's a letter celebrating that glorious miracle that God has come near to us. So we're going to be looking at that miracle from various different angles as this letter goes on in the weeks to come, just as we finish and leave this opening section of 1 John. Just a few thoughts on what difference the coming of Jesus into the world should make to our lives this week. A few applications as we close. First of all, God has come near to us in Jesus, so let's get to know him in his word. John's good saying, actually, the Son of God has made such steps towards us. He's made the first move towards us so that we could see him, hear him, touch him. He says, so get to know this God who comes near to you. Again, these opening verses emphasize just how precious a gift it is that we have eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus left to us by the early Christians like the Apostle John. In our Bibles, we've got four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, can I ask, when did you last read one of those eyewitness accounts? Maybe from beginning to end over a few days or a few weeks. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're thinking, what is all this God has come near to us? You can read these accounts for yourself of the people who saw Jesus, heard Jesus, touched Jesus, and had Jesus reveal God to them. So on the table over there, um, by the tea and coffee, there is a selection of just nicely bound individual gospels of Jesus' life. Um, I tried to get a selection of all, of all four. I've only got two, I'm afraid. So it's only Luke and John. So Matthew and Mark, it's not your week. But there's Luke and John over there. And, and can I just encourage you this morning, maybe when you're having tea and coffee at the end, why not pick up one of those Gospels and take it home with you? Why not think, actually, in the coming weeks, maybe if you've not thought what you're going to read in the Bible, or maybe reading the Bible feels a bit alien to you, actually take one of those away with you and go, right, this is meant to be an eyewitness account. What do I learn about the God who's come near to us in this Gospel? And even better, you could read this with someone else. So actually, let's read this together, and you can sort of WhatsApp each other, meet up, talk about it. That could be someone at Avenue. It could be someone outside of Avenue. Like John is saying, the Son of God's come near. So we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. And we've got those accounts for us in the Word of God. So why don't we read them? Why don't we say, I want to get to know this Jesus, this God who has come near to us this term, so I can have fellowship with him and fellowship with his people. I think a second thing I think we can learn about this this morning, a difference it makes, is that if God has come near to us in Jesus, let's draw near to him and ask him to help us. And one of the questions we opened with was sort of that question, how can we know that God cares for us? Isn't it arrogant just to think, oh, I'm sure God's interested in my life? Actually, it's not arrogant. Because God has demonstrated he cares for us by sending his son, Jesus. And because God has come near to us in Jesus, we can draw near to him through Jesus. And one of the names of Jesus in the Bible is Emmanuel, God with us. What that means is we are never alone in this world. 
Again, as Joel said a few minutes ago, the summer holidays are pretty much over for most of us. Maybe they were great. Maybe they were everything you hoped for. Maybe they were disappointing. Maybe they're even hard. And even think about the last week. How has it been? Maybe you say there are things that were good and there are things that were hard. Things that were difficult. Where do you go with that? Well, John is telling us here, God has come near to you in Jesus. So you can come near to him and ask him for help. The good news of the incarnation of God coming near to us in Jesus is that Jesus knows what it's like to be poor, to be troubled in spirit, to suddenly lose someone close to you. Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused, to be slandered, to be abandoned by your friends. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood by your family, to be rejected. Jesus knows what it's like. He has compassion on us. He gets us because he is the God who has come near to us. See, the good news of the incarnation of Jesus is that Jesus is fully human. So he understands us, he relates to us, and he's fully God. So he's strong enough to help us. He's strong enough to meet with us and to pick us up when we fall and to forgive us and to give us the strength we need. So John tells us, God, he's come near to us in Jesus. Let's come near to him this term. Let's ask him to help us, to walk with us, to pick us up when we fall. Because he is near and he loves those who trust in him. And then finally, I think the thing we're going to see a lot in this letter, that refrain. God's come near to us in Jesus so we can learn from him how to love one another. We're going to see that again and again in 1 John. Love one another. Dear friends, love one another. My children, love one another. It's a key sign that we have eternal life and we belong to God's family is that we love one another. And I think for any season of a church's life, we need to remember that. It's a season of change for us. We've said that for a time now, but again, the Ayers Monsell team aren't here with us this morning. They're on the Ayers Monsell meeting for the first time on a Sunday. They'll be back next week. We get to hear about it, but they're moving towards that time when they will, we'll, we'll send them onto the Ayers Monsell as a local church. Will we love them as they do that? Will we love one another as maybe we grieve that? We've waved goodbye to other mission partners and people we love in recent times. The challenge here is, will we love one another as we deal with those moments in life? If we want to know what Jesus is like and his love for us, John says, start by loving one another and you will learn what his love for you is like. The, the, the title for this series is taken from a little bit later, later in, in this letter, chapter four. We love because he first loved us. And for all the twinkliness and the warmth of this letter, John knows that living for Jesus in this world is hard. We need the help of God and we need the help and love of one another. So let's learn from Jesus how to love one another and ask him to help us do that in our lives together. There's a story that's told about John. Blessed John the Evangelist, the writer of this letter, in extreme old age. We think even older than when he wrote this letter. And the early church fathers would talk about him when he was living in the city of Ephesus. And apparently John got to the point where he was so old, 
He used to be carried into church gatherings in the arms of his disciples. And he was unable to say anything except, little children love one another. Little children love one another. And the story goes that some of his younger disciples, you know, straining under the weight, were going, why do you always say the same thing? And apparently John's reply was, because it is the Lord's command, and if only this is done, it is enough. John knows you, you can't fake the love Jesus has for us. You need him to teach you and empower you to do it. Love one another. It is the Lord's command, and if only this is done, it is enough. Those words from 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God has come near to us in Jesus. Let's get to know him in his word. Let's draw near to him and ask him to help us. And let's learn from him how to love one another. Let me pray for us as we finish. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that when we come to you, we are not guessing what you're like. And we're not trying to bridge a massive gap between you and ourselves by our own efforts or our own strength. But Lord, instead, we are receiving the gift of love that you have made of yourself to us. That we are responding to you coming near to us in your son, Jesus, loving us, showing us what you're like, and then changing and empowering us so we can love one another. Thank you for your forgiveness, Father. Thank you for picking us up when we fall. Father, please, through this bit of your word, this coming term, would you teach us how to love one another and to love you so that the world around us will see the invisible God through us and how we love one another. We ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.